All right, gentlemen. That's the ones you gotta watch out for in that rush hour traffic. Those old people that have lost their pay. <laughs> hey, NASCAR fans, Mamba Smith here. On this episode of Mark, Mamba, and the Mayor, we'll discuss Denny Hamlin's evolution from fresh faced young gun to Cup Series elder statesman. Also, crowds are filing into the grandstands once again after an awesome debut for the Cup Series at Worldwide Technology Raceway. You love to see it. The guys are going to discuss the impact of adding new tracks to the Cup Series schedule. Buckle up and let's get it going. All right, gentlemen. It is Mark Mamba and the mayor. We are back at it. I got my guys, Mark Martin and Jeff Byrne. How's y'all's weekend? You have a good weekend? I had a lot of fun watching racing. There was a lot of good racing going on. Jeff, where were you at? Did you make it out there? This is the, uh, this is uh, I've only missed two races this year, uh, Bristol Dirt, and then this weekend. Uh, so I watched a lot of racing on television. Yeah, a lot of racing. It, it, it was it was a great time to watch. I enjoyed everything from this weekend from um, from worldwide technology. Say that five times fast. Uh, let's just get into it. Uh, Denny Hamlin, guys. So. Denny just won a crown jewel race. He just won the Coke 600. So now Denny's got 48 cup wins, three 500s, um, and he has at least one win in 16 of his 17 full-time seasons. What's your guys' take on Denny's legacy and how far he's come? Well, I'm not, as a fan, I'm not going to try to be a Denny Hamlin fanboy, but, you know, Denny means a lot to me as a fan. Um, his accomplishments on the racetrack are stunning. One of the things that I really like about Denny is he's sort of the most outspoken elder statesman on the circuit now. It seems like that Harvick tries to uh, just stay out of the fray and lay low and do his thing uh, now. And, and Denny doesn't mind to interject himself right into the into the mess. So that's good for us all. I enjoy the fact that Denny is sort of playing the role that I was playing when he first came broke broke onto the scene. Denny was super fast right out of the gate. I mean, crazy fast. We had a driver etiquette that was understood in NASCAR at the time. And one of the things was, if a faster car is passing you, don't hang on his right rear and slow you both down. Something that you've got to do today because passing is so hard. But back then, you didn't want to lose time to the other competitors. Well, I caught Denny and was passing him, and he hung on my right rear for about a lap and a half, and I squeezed him, squeezed him out, you know, and he complained about it, you know, and it was like, I had to go and have a talk with him about it. And it was so cool. About three years later or so, maybe four, there was this young buck coming up. The same thing happened. And boy, he just scolded him for not having the proper etiquette, not understanding how this is done and all that stuff. And so I really enjoyed, you know, seeing him come through and, you know, the transition through all that. He's a really outspoken person, got a, got a heck of a personality. And I just think he's fantastic for the sport. Jeff, he doesn't lack on personality, does he? Uh, no, he doesn't. And what's cool about him is he shares it. You know what I mean? He likes showing you who he is away from the racetrack. Uh, I think a lot of fans have interest in that and want to know how drivers are. They want to know their personalities. Denny doesn't mind showing it. I think Denny is one of 
the most underrated and underappreciated drivers uh, that we currently have. You look at the wins he has, you, you rattled them off. He's the real deal. When you go back and you, Mark's talking about when he first came in, remember that car and that sponsorship, they were in a major struggle. They were, they were running horrible. They were, my recollection is they were missing some races. It was not a good scene. And Denny, young Denny Hamlin with very limited experience, he secured all that up. He was racing for an opportunity. He was racing for his life, so to speak, in our world. And he proved to everybody, I'm the guy. Like he earned that ride by being put in a very pressure, pressure packed situation and delivered. And they haven't looked back since. Think about that relationship. He and FedEx have been together that whole time. And he had to earn that job and he had to help turn that thing around. And I have a lot of respect for that. That's hard to do. It's hard to take the fight to Mark Martin. It's hard to take the fight to Rusty Wallace, which like he had to do to earn his way in. And he found a way to do it. Yeah, he he came in and he was teammates with, it was Stewart. I think it was Labonte too at that time. That team, to your point, they weren't very good. They were struggling. But when he came in, I remember it's Pocono, right? Like Pocono, he comes in. And just lays it on everybody. And you're like, Pocono, like, where'd this come from? What was that like for you guys? You're like, all right, Pocono's a tricky track. We know that. This kid is coming from, you know, Richmond, Virginia, racing racing late models. Now he's running in the top of the cup field at Pocono of all places. Well, I remember in practice at Pocono, him uh, driving by me and running off and leaving me like he was in a different type of race car than I was. I mean, it was, it was, he was like incredible from the first lap of practice. And I remember, you know, I remember him, you know, hauling other places as well, but Pocono was really one of his things. He was bad fast at Phoenix. There were a lot of things about Denny. The thing about Denny is there, he gives you plenty of material to maybe for some people to not like him. You need that. I mean, he, he there's plenty of material for, for haters if you want to be a Denny Ham, Hamlin hater. But then, you know, there's so much to respect. And I think Jeff and I really respect the things, uh, you know, that he's accomplished and, and the pressure that he was under initially. And to be able to keep that uh, level of intensity over 17 years, you know, it's just been, it's remarkable. I, you know, I just, I think he's really, really good for our sport. We could use another one or two that are uh, out there a little bit, putting themselves out there a little bit further than, than what they do. There's a risk to that. You do get haters and you, do, you know, you can't even look at your social media. I don't think if, if you, if you put yourself out there, don't do that. Don't go to the comment section. No, yeah, it's bad. So, uh, so I like that. I, I love it. We need guys like Denny Hamlin and like Kyle Busch. Kyle's another guy who, you know, puts himself out there. There's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of material for the haters, but I need, uh, you know, I need Kyle Busch in the sport. So the other thing, Mark, about Denny is that, um, you know, I've had a chance to work with Denny behind the scenes quite a bit over the last six, seven months. And Denny's a really smart guy. Like Denny's opinionated, but Denny will take the time to, get information like there's times that he's kind of off the cuff and he'll make a comment because he's an emotional guy and he's going to tell you how he feels but that's rare normally it's well thought out he may not agree you may not agree with him but he has an opinion because he's watched and he's listened and he's paid attention it's not always just selfish denny saying well here's how it should be he's looking at the world uh, our world from afar and, and I have a lot of respect for that because a lot of people uh, only give you their selfish opinion, what's good for them. Denny's really not trying to do that. And when, Jenny, when Denny's pushing those buttons, he's pushing those buttons because he thinks it's best for the sport. And think about that for a minute. We can disagree with him, but he cares enough about the sport that he wants to be involved in it. I think that's a precious thing. I think you, I think you have to have people 
I mean, Bobby Allison left it better than he found it for the next generation. And that next generation needs to leave it better than they found it for the next generation. And that's what Denny's trying to do. And I have a lot of respect for that. One, one more thing. There was a couple of times in this sport, Mark, where young rookies came in and they're showing off. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I see you. But just wait till you go to Pocono, right? And Denny goes out there and waxes us. And then Tony Stewart, we were getting ready to go to Sonoma. He was a rookie. And I'm like, all right, we're going to see now. We're going to see now. Yeah, he's big and bad. We're going to see now what he's got. And he went out there and hauled ass. And I went, okay, they're real. Like, they're real. And it's hard to earn the respect of your peers, especially the older guys, the experienced guys that have been winning races. It's hard to break into that respect. And you got to do kind of some extraordinary things to really get the appreciation. And uh, Denny did that. And, 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 you know, and, and obviously Tony Stewart did. You know, yeah. speak, speaking of earning respect, the little brush up that Denny had with Chastain, I kind of view it like this. The etiquette is different now. And everybody thinks that they have an understanding of what driving etiquette should be. But if it's being done to you, it's not the same as if you're the perpetrator of today's etiquette. Eh, you know, that's the way that today's racing. And, I, you know, I've heard many of them say that. But then when you're on the receiving end of that kind of thing, sometimes you don't view it the same. There seems to be a lot more discrepancy between what is acceptable and what isn't, isn't acceptable today than there was back when Jeff, when you and I raced. Yeah, they're pushing they're pushing the buttons pretty hard. <laughs> well, it's funny because it happens to one guy and then they get mad the next time, at, like, you know, at flip-flops and you're like, wait, hold up, wasn't that you at Martinsville? Wasn't that you at this other racetrack? Like, not too long ago you were that guy. So I think it's funny how it goes back and forth so fast. But that's different because it was me it's different <laughs> exactly exactly i, I didn't want to interject this into though kyle larson didn't he didn't claim to be a victim back there when he got the squeeze you know i really thought that that was kind of a squeeze on on, on kyle up on the high side but he said no he didn't squeeze me <laughs> it's like well i understand there was three inches between you and the wall and three inches between you and that other car for me that wasn't enough you know but uh but Kyle you know he, he just took it it's so funny like Reddick gets just gets wrecked at Bristol I mean just flat out wrecked he he gets out he's like oh, that's my fault I, I should have done something different and then this week Chastain made some mistakes and you would think he's gonna jump off the top of a building you know and he's so distraught about it and and it's just interesting to see how people handle different things. Ross is Ross at at, uh, at Gateway or Worldwide Technology. I, I appreciate the apology, right? But enough's enough, right? Like, hey, I did it. It's my fault. Hard racing. I'm sorry. I got to go make it right with those guys. But it's enough. That like you've done enough. I think um, you go so far sometimes that people don't believe you. You know what I mean? I've seen that happen multiple times where you you take it so far that you're trying to sell it. You know what I mean? And people are like, oh, okay, it's, that's, that may not be genuine. Now, Ross has to Ross has to consider being real, being genuine, but not not taking it so far. Yeah, Ross is really, really, really fun to watch. Really aggressive. Uh, I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to race against Ross uh, because he is so aggressive and all. I don't want to see that change. Now, you know, it, uh, he'll clean up his mistakes as he goes forward. He'll learn. Um, he's a he's a great great driver and. And some of some of what happened there in St. Louis might have been from being a little overzealous, but part of it is he's on the gap. I mean, how do you think he's hauling like that? 
I mean, he is so freaking fast everywhere he goes in that car. He's actually carrying that car to another level. He's winning races with a car that a lot of great race car drivers would be running top five with. And when you do that, you're up over the edge sometimes. And that's what we're seeing every once in a while with, with Ross. I mean, you can't can't be mad that it's entertaining for us to talk about and watch. And as long as the fans are hooting and howling to me, I'd boy, give it, give me all you got, Ross. Come on with it. But just remember, you you know, listen to Mark and Jeff here every once in a while. You might need to give a little bit to get a little bit more at the end. We used to be in an era of driver owners. You guys, you talked about Alan Kowicki before. We've talked about Junior Johnson, and guys have stepped away from uh, driving to be an owner. But we have had some guys that have done both, like Tony was an owner and, and driver at the same time, won a championship doing that. And then before him was Alan. And now we got Denny doing it. What are the different types of mentalities now? Because I see it in his interviews. Like sometimes I get Denny the driver and then sometimes I get Denny the owner. Kurt Busch wins. He's overzealous. Like I've never seen him look so emotional. You know, and then sometimes he is the other way. So, you know, what does that look like to you guys? Well, to me, I, I want to back all the way up to Alan. And the reason, one of the biggest reasons Alan was an owner driver, well, a couple of reasons. First of all, NASCAR wasn't interested in Midwestern drivers. They they had plenty to coming up from their Southeast region to pick from. So they weren't looking for, for these guys. Number one, didn't make it easy. But the biggest problem that we had, we being Alan, myself, guys like Dave Watson and Dick Trickle and a number of other greats, Wisconsin greats that tried to do it, that preached to us, man, don't do it. You know, they'll ruin your career. They'll put you in these junk race cars and you know, they'll, they'll put you in inferior race cars where you can't get the job done and it will reflect on you. Alan needed to be an owner driver so that he could do his cars, innovate his cars. And, you know, it's, it may be a little extreme to say this, but the way I viewed the NASCAR cars in the 80s, the cup cars versus our late models, late models were purpose-built race cars. To me, a cup car was still an evolution of a passenger car. It, was, it wasn't all the way there. It wasn't all the way major, innovative, move forward. You know, it was basically you know, a, a passenger car front snout and a pickup truck back end, and you put a body in a roll cage on it. And so a lot of those teams weren't interested in what the driver had to say about setting the cars up or making the cars better. So it sort of necessitated what Alan did. And of course, uh, you know, after he did that, there were a lot of others tried it with, with not as much success, except for, as you mentioned, Tony Stewart. That wasn't exactly fair. Tony didn't build that organization from scratch with his bare hands. He came into it as a as a struggling organization, but it was already an organization that was well-funded, and he didn't have to worry about the funding part of it, and he was able to bring a lot of great people and talent into the organization so he had a you know he had a head start on it that a lot of a lot of these other guys that tried it didn't yeah and, you know we think you go back mom and you think about how our sports evolved think about some of their biggest some of our biggest teams the wood brothers you know wood drove that car richard childers racing richard childers drove that car junior johnson junior johnson drove that car like you go back and you look and these guys recognize okay if for me to be successful as a car owner, I need to focus on that. And they stepped away 
from driving and put hired people and put them in their car. And then they focused on driving the car, but they built those things from the ground up. Mark, when he came in to cup, he came in with his own team and he reached a point where he needed to have, he needed to drive for someone else. And, and Jack Roush was a perfect match for Mark because they, they, it was a great match. They both were really hungry. And you look at Denny and what he's doing, he's built that from the ground up, started it from nothing. He's built it up and, and, He's doing it his way. He's got his thumbprint on it the same way a lot of the great teams in our sports history, uh, the same way they're here. So there was a time where, you know, I really, I really wanted to own a race team. Like I wanted to own my own race team, drive for myself, do it my way. But, you know, I ended up being able to drive for Jack Roush. So why would I own my own team? I ended up driving for Richard Childress. So why would I own my own team? They, they let me do what I want to do anyway. And then it got so expensive that it wasn't even consideration. Like it was not even a thought that I could own a race team. And I dropped it because if, if it didn't work, it would break you. Like it would literally, everything I'd work for would be gone. And it wasn't worth it. Now, you know, with the charter system, now there's a little bit of equity. Now there's a little bit of, Something that you've got, there's a, there's a, the payment ske schedule is so much better than in the past. It's such an important part. Now, some people think that the charters are, aren't good for the sport. Well, those are people that aren't in the sport. And those are people that don't have to write the payroll check. And those are people that don't have to guarantee a sponsor they're going to be in the race. I mean, these are things that it's a business. There's no other way. I mean, I wish it, I wish we could have this romantic notion that it was cool when team, when we had 50 spots for 50 cars for 38 spots and you spent 12 home. Like that was some cool thing that we did. Do you know how many sponsors we ran out of the sport doing that? I mean, the, the charters have given a, an opportunity for a guy like Denny Hamlin, a guy like Brad Keselowski to continue their dream in this sport. And it's so important for our sport to have that. And I'm not being disrespectful, but our ownership group is relatively old. We've got to have new energy. We got to have new enthusiasm, a reason to want to be a car owner. Without car owners, there is no sport. Without tracks, there is no sport. We have to have them. And, and I'm glad we're getting closer to a system where a guy like Denny Hamlin can raise his hand and say, hey, I want to do this. A guy like Brad Keselowski, I want to do this. We have to have them. And, and, and I appreciate the hell out of both of those guys saying, hey, I want to do this. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a big deal. Well, I do too. And I want to add one more thing while we're talking about all that. Jog my memory. I just over over the weekend, I watched uh, the Dale Jr. download with Jimmy Means. Um, and I raced with Jimmy in 81, 82. And through those 80, early 80s, you know, when he was a mid-pack at best car racing on a budget, he ran Richmond. One one year and never he brought all used tires, ran the whole 400 laps, finished on the lead lap, finished eight, or maybe one lap down, finished eight, one lap down and never bought us bought a tire all weekend. That made me think because I found out I didn't realize he was a huge winner, track champions all over Nashville and all over the place. And he had won big time before he went NASCAR racing. And of course, he's still in. He's been in the same building. He's running this Xfinity car. Now out of the same building, forty-one years later. So it's it's pretty uh, pretty amazing. A lot of times these guys that are that are toward the, the back of the pack don't get the respect that they really deserve. I really really am a fan of BJ McLeod. He won every race they green flagged at New Smyrna for years. Was the guy to beat. And and now you know so many race fans don't know that about him, but they are pioneering their way. You know Rick Rear. Uh, where racing, 
Um, and, and look at what Front Row Motorsports is doing, especially this year. All those guys are dreaming of being able to get enough funding that they can compete in the upper level you know, of the field. And it's really, really cool to see McDowell running so strong this year uh, with that organization. Because they're so close now. If they can keep keep that going, they may be able to increase funding. And, and if they can increase funding, you know, they can get more stuff. And pretty soon, they might be able to build that into, into something that's a real contender. That's their dream. Those guys in, in the back back there, they deserve more respect than they get from, from the fans. Absolutely. And to go off of what you just said with McDowell, the uh, gateway at Worldwide Technology had wi- uh, wise power on that thing. Wise, that was the first time that they had been a primary sponsor on a race car. Uh, and they were the, um, that is the first black owned company to be the entitlement sponsor. They were the entitlement sponsor at Fontana. They had such a good time at Fontana. They found a team to to partner with and then they got to lead laps. Like I, I know that they were excited for that. I saw their socials and everything. So like we bring in new sponsors, new people, new teams, all this, all this new stuff is really important. And I think you guys hit on something too, is our deal is different. Our sport is so different to where our owners um, are old drivers or could be crew chiefs. You can't, you don't see that in any other sport. Like, like other than LeBron James, there's no, and Michael Jordan, there's nobody that's going to own a basketball team. There's nobody that's going to own an NFL team. That's not just not going to happen that played, but here you can ascend and go do that. And I think that's really special about our sport. Yeah. And we just have to have a a structure so that it's doable, right? We, We don't want to be a sport if we can avoid it, where only the ultra rich can do it. We, we don't want that. We want people that really love to be here. And it's not just a business, it's a passion. And it's Justin Marks is a great example. I mean, we need Justin Marks and, and those kind of guys. It's such an important part of what we do. And the other thing that's very unique about our sport and why it's important for Denny Hamlin and Kozlowski and others to stay involved in the sport is if you're an L.A. Lakers fan, you pull for the Lakers no matter who's paying for them. Like, it doesn't matter. It, you, you, you may not like the team because they're not winning, but they're, damn, they're Lakers. That's my team. What do you do when Mark Martin retires? You know, what do you do? Because you, you're a fan of Mark Martin. You're not a fan of, no disrespect, you're not a fan of Jack Roush. You're not a fan of Rick Hendrick. You're a fan of Mark Martin. And so what do you do? That's why it's import, so important for our sport, more than any other sport, to link the past with the present. Because our athletes, when they leave, they're gone. They don't leave the legacy of, a franchise team like stick and ball sports do. And so having that ownership where it links to the, to the drivers is really important because it gives the fans, if you're a Brad K fan, we are hoping his team does well. Right. And I think it's really important for fans to have something to continue to cheer for after their guys retired. Absolutely. Speaking of the fans, we got to give a shout out to them. They've been coming out, guys. They've been coming out all year. And I love going toe-to-toe with these people on Twitter. Oh, NASCAR is dying. They've been saying it forever. <laughs> and then every time we go to a new spot, like Charlotte, and not new, but Charlotte's been, you know, we've been kind of struggling there for a little bit, packed out. Okay, well, let's see about Gateway. It won't happen at Gateway. But Worldwide Technology was packed out. And I don't know if it's it's the combination between the cars the drama, probably, you know, COVID, everyone being cooped up for a while, that has something to do with it. But, guys, the, the fans are 
It's a beautiful thing to see. The racing is so good right now. Has been every single race this year. I mean, even at racetracks that you would have thought would have been, been challenging and had been in the past, like California. The race was incredible at California. My expectations weren't super high for worldwide technologies. I mean, they just weren't. And what an incredible race from start to finish. Everywhere we've been, the racing's been incredible. The sport is just really on a, a upward climb right now. And um, the fans are are turning out and selling these places out. It's cool to see. We tried, we're, we try, we're trying new stuff all the time. You see it. Is this going to be continue to be a trend, do you think, going to new tracks, venues we've never tried before? Be like, you know what? Let's just screw it. Let's see what happens. Why not? Heck yeah. Much like I talked about uh, car owners, we need them. We also need racetracks, right? We need Marcus Smith and his team to be successful. We need ISC and, and NASCAR. We need them to be successful. Uh, but at the same time, we have to find a way to give the fans new stuff, right? It can't always be new because then who are you? Like, what are you? Like, if you constantly change the rules, if you constantly change the tracks, what are you? I think that we suffered from that some in the past and trying to make things better. I feel like we've probably changed too much too quick. We would have been better off just to say, okay, we are who we are. Let's try to build small. Instead, I think we swung for the fences and we, we moved some people away because we swung for the fences. So we can't alienate the people like we did when we left North Wilkesboro, right? But at the same time, we can't be held back. We've got to find a way to always be doing something new. And so that's a difficult balance to walk. It's a difficult balance to, to find, uh, but we have to. Listen, we raced in a coliseum, in a coliseum around a football field. People five years ago, three years ago would have said, there's no way. I called for the all-star race to be at South Boston Speedway, at Nashville, at you know some of NASCAR, Hickory, some of NASCAR's most prominent tracks years ago. People laughed at me, said, what? We're better than that. What do you mean we're better than that? We are that. We're no better. We're no bigger. That's what we are. And so when you go to somewhere new, that's what it does. It ignites a local community. It makes them NASCAR fans again. We suffer because the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series don't go to these little short tracks all over the country. We suffer from that. We don't have a link to those tracks. So going to new places, going to new cities, going to new venues, and we don't have to build 100,000 seat venues to do it. We don't. We don't have to do it. So we're going to see more of this. I can't believe we won't see more of it. And it is 100% the right thing to do. But married with the traditional tracks, traditional race links in, at those traditional tracks, we gotta we gotta hold on to our tradition while we're exploring new things. Yeah, Mark, I know you're big on tradition and we we keep a lot of that stuff. The crown jewel races, I think those are super important. What encourages you about what you're seeing? Cause this is stuff that probably we haven't done since you know you were young in your career as far as changing up tracks and, and formats and such. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the track changing more than anything else, not just to change it. Don't make a change just to change it. That's right. That's right. Okay. But, uh, but going to St. Louis is big. That was great. Going to uh, Road America, that's incredible. Going to, uh, to Austin, you know, there for Coda, that was incredible. But that's all positive stuff. And when you roll those kinds of pluses into the incredible racing that we've seen everywhere, every every race, you know, you've you've got something. You've got a tiger by the tail. So that's what we're seeing right now, I think. So we're going to we got Sonoma coming up. 
I don't think I've ever, I've only been there for, for a drag race. I think I never went there for a NASCAR race. So I've never seen it. I've never seen the cars on track in person. You guys have been on it, obviously. What, what is your takeaways about Sonoma? What do you like about it? What makes it interesting and different? Cause now we're not doing the carousel again. We're doing the, the other format. Well, you probably should get this answer from Mark. Cause I sucked out there. Um, from <laughs> well, Mark a has a win out there. <laughs> huh? I don't. No, Mark, um, yeah. Yeah, he does. I don't. I don't know if I have a top 10. No, I finished <laughs> second or third out there because everybody else ran out of gas once. But, um, you know, it is so – that racetrack, Mark, is so small. When I say small, it's not – it's got a long – it's a long track, really narrow, really small corners, really tight corners, and the asphalt just chews up the tire. You car, you're Superman. When we put tires on that thing, you go out, you just drive it so hard. And then about five laps later, you're like, oh, you're just tiptoeing around the track. It's it's a really challenging track. It's really, if you think about it, it's almost too narrow for a cup car, which makes it awesome. The Dar- You can say the same about Darlington. It's a Darlington road courses, Mark. That's what, that's what I think it is. Yeah, that's right, Jeff. It really is. It It is... Oh, man, those restarts are, they were insane back in the day when restarts weren't insane. I mean, now it's just, it's just, it's insanity. Um, it's a, it's a tough racetrack. I, I like what you said about it chewing up the tires. You know, your tactics were when you put stickers on to make a mock qualifying run, you leave the pits, you'd run real slow three quarters of the way around the racetrack because you didn't want to knock the fast off of them. You know, you'd only pick up the, your speed in the last handful of corners before you took your green flag to to do your lap. It was, uh, and if you if you timed the lap up by the crossover, there was a spot up there on the racetrack. If you timed there, your lap time would always be faster than it was further around at the start finish line because you're dropping speed as your lap went. You know, so it was. Uh, it, it's you know, but it puts on a great show this this year with these cars. Is going to be absolutely incredible. I can't wait to see it. Um, it uh, it has always been a challenge all through the years. Um, I think back to the first time that we went there. I think it was '89. Uh, I came in for a uh, for a gas and go, and I was a young driver, afraid that I was going to do something wrong all the time. Jack, I was scared to death of Jack, and <laughs> so I came in for the gas and go. And they finished, said go, and I peeled out of there and drove to the end of pit road and made the left hand to start up the hill. My right rear flew off, and I spun around and turned over. And I got out of the car, and I ran as hard as I could run to the pits to find out if I left in the middle of a tire change, you know. And sure enough, uh, uh, Richard Valentine was a rear tire changer, and he was just doing his thing. He didn't realize what a gas and go. He usually changed the tires. So he went out there and took the nuts, nuts off. But, um, you know, it's it's a special place. We've been going there a long time. There's a lot of great racing there. Uh, I had a, a huge win for me there in, in 97 after a winless season in 96. Great battle with Jeff, Jeff Gordon on my heels. And as soon as I finished the start-finish line, I just let the muscles in my neck relax and my head flopped all the way over to the right going up the hill. I couldn't hold it up anymore. Hey, you mentioned restarts. Well, 
back when we were racing, I thought the most embarrassing thing that we did all year long was have restarts at Sonoma because you took some really good race car drivers and everybody just took their brain out of their helmets and put them in the other side of the car and just every man for himself, like no, no respect, no anything. Just if you're slower to me, I'm going to run over you because if I don't, I'm going to get run over from behind. And it, I can only imagine what is going to be like this year. Oh my God, if we get a restart with five to go or 10 to go, whew, and activate the airbags. I mean, it's it's going to be nuts. And, and you know, the, Mom, the reason it's so hard is because when you start toward turn one and you start climbing that hill, you go from going really fast to almost stopped. Well, the guy in the 10th row, he has to lift off the gas 40 car lengths before he would normally. And it's really hard to gauge it. And so next thing you know, you're three wide because somebody just went three wide to keep from running behind the guy into the, you know, and it's just chaos. And then you're side by side all through two, three, four, and there's not room for side by side. It, it's just, it's, it's going to be wild. It's going to absolutely be wild restarts with these cars with points on the line for stage ends with the aggression we've seen all year. I mean, you better buckle up. You better, Better bring your boxing gloves and buckle up tight because it's gonna be it's gonna be a fight. So the fans better get you get your popcorn ready, y'all. It's gonna. Mm. Mark and Jeff said it's going down in Sonoma. Before I let you guys go, I, I thought about this because we're talking road course racing. AJ Allmendinger um, just passed Jeff Gordon on the all time total NASCAR road course win, so he just passed him on that total list. That's something that honestly I didn't think anyone would really. You know, once like Stewart retired, so I didn't really think anyone was going to get there, even though obviously those guys racing cup and AJ has done it across the three. What does that say about AJ to you guys? I mean, obviously he's a good race car driver, but that list is pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, AJ is a great race car driver, great race car driver. You know, I remember when he got in that one uh, Indy car and he won like five in a row or something like that. This is one, you know, one just about every race. I think about road. Paul Tracy crazy. Um, <laughs> that but, doesn't take much, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, but AJ's, my, my point is AJ's really, really good. However, one thing you got to remember is there's there are certain guys that the real depth of background is road course racing. And those guys shine more often than not. There's some great all-around road course drivers like Jeff Gordon or, or you know, Tony Stewart who didn't come up through the ranks uh, road racing, but the guys that have in-depth road racing experience seem to, for some reason, fare better than your average guy. And AJ is a perfect example of that. You know, he just, he gets more out of a road course car. I'll tell you somebody else that impressed the heck out of me and always does is Andy Lally. Dude, he almost, he almost had a top five there and Lally is another one. He's got that that background, and I got excited for Andy. You know, I was like, dude, if he could just get a ride and, you know, a full-time ride, but it's hard for those guys. It's hard hard for a guy like Andy to get the same amount of, of speed out of an oval car. They can just find more somehow or another on those road courses. It's, a, it's actually amazing to watch. Yeah, AJ is, AJ is a talented race car driver. It's What's interesting about AJ, too, is that he um, – I think he's the best he's ever been in NASCAR right now. And that's a combination of finding a way to have some fun, 
being with a group that lets him be himself, not under the pressure of cup. And it's two different universes. Trust me, just able to be more relaxed and be himself. And you wish for AJ that he could have been in that position 10 years ago, right? Cause he could have been, in my opinion, he could have been a force in the cup series had he been able to be there, you know, all of it there at the same time and time is everything in life. I mean, it really is. And, and the timing for him just never quite worked. It is now. You just wish he could have been there 10 years ago. Yeah. He had the talent. Yeah. When he first came in, man, he was fast. You yes. know, he just needed time to get his arms all around that. And he never was, never had the time or the program behind him to, you know, to reach his full potential. He's one of those guys that he he makes teams better and he does it in different ways, leadership and on track and off track. And you like being around him. He's a good guy. Guys, I had a black. I, I love this. Is probably one of my this is my favorite thing to do every other week is come in here and chat with you guys about what you're seeing in the sport. And Mark telling some old stories and Jeff sprinkling his stories in there, too. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Mark Mamba and the Mayor podcast. <laughs>